1: Hey
2: everyone, John Heilman here. I'm the host of Helen High Water, a new podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. Today, however, I am the host of something a little different, a special bonus election podcast featuring the hosts of all three members of the Recount iHeart Podcast family. That would be Jennifer Palmieri, host of a podcast called Just Something About Her, and David Pluff and Steve Schmidt, who are the co-hosts of another political podcast called Battleground. We have gathered here for the purposes of analyzing, discussing, picking apart, assessing, and hopefully explicating sort of important moment in American history, which is to say the election of a new president. The person in question, of course, is Joseph F. Biden Jr., who has just been declared president-elect. That moment we've all been waiting for over the course of the last day or so finally has arrived with the networks deciding that enough of the vote is in. That They feel comfortable calling the state of Pennsylvania for Biden together with uh, his victories in Michigan and Wisconsin. That puts him over the 270 electoral vote threshold. Joe Biden is getting ready to give a speech in Wilmington, Delaware, in which he's going to stand up and say he is now the president-elect and presumably sound some unifying themes and try to talk about how he's going to be the president, not just for Blue America, but the president for Red and Blue America, for all America. The guy who currently occupies the Oval Office, Donald Trump, Uh, is taking a somewhat different, less traditional approach. Trump is engaged in a noisy, pernicious, and potentially long-running and really ugly campaign to cast doubt upon the legitimacy of Joe Biden's election, to suggest that it is all product of widespread fraud, that Democrats, uh, state election authorities, and the media are all in on a vast conspiracy uh, to deny Donald Trump what is rightfully his. All of that, of course, is pure bullshit. There's no basis for it whatsoever. But Donald Trump has gotten up twice so far already at the White House and said exactly those things. One can expect that we're going to hear a lot of that in the days and weeks and months to come between now, at least in January 20th, when Donald Trump will, in fact, leave the Oval Office and will be replaced by Joe Biden. We sat down to record this podcast Thursday uh, at a point when it was clear to all four of us that, in fact, Joe Biden would end up getting 270 electoral votes. But when it wasn't so clear to the rest of the world, uh, and it hadn't certainly hadn't happened yet, and now it has, uh, which means that we are ready to push, play, sit back, and try to enjoy yourself listening to this special super duper bonus deluxe election podcast from myself and my fellow recount iHeart podcast family members, David Pluff, Steve Schmidt, Jennifer Palmieri. Enjoy. It's Thursday at. p.m. Eastern. I note that only because the situation currently is coming rapidly to a conclusion in this election at this moment, at this hour. But there are things that are still in play and in flux, and I think it's important for our listeners to know where we are. So first of all, how is everybody? How are we all
3: holding up at this point? Doing great. Thanks, John. How are you? Good to see you all. Pluff, how are you? Just waiting for the inevitable.
2: Waiting for the devil, well, Palmieri. Palmieri's in Wilmington, Delaware. How are you, Palmieri?
1: Are you at the Hotel Dupont Yes,
4: Yes.
2: What's the mood in Wilmington? You're like the one who's on scene right now.
4: People are legitimately excited, uh, and it's like the Biden campaign said all said for the last two days they're confident, but now you can tell like they actually feel it. Like they actually feel. I heard somebody refer, not like a Biden person, but somebody refer to him as the pr- the president-elect today in the parking lot
2: well and jen just sent around to a list that i'm on a photograph of a giant speaker being erected uh, at the chase center or outside the chase center uh, illustrative and suggestive of what might be happening this evening uh when i believe it's possible that joseph robinette biden jr will become uh in fact if not in reality if not in formal reality will become the president-elect of the united states and I think that that is indicative of something that's about to happen. And, and, and David and Steve, I, we should just go through the states that, are, that we're all waiting for right now. But I believe right now what is about to happen in the next couple hours is that Pennsylvania is going to get called by one or all of the networks uh, and the AP. And at that moment, uh, Joe Biden will be at 270 electoral votes, if my math is right. And that will be the moment where Uh, Biden will feel free to stand up and say that he's the president-elect. So just talk us through why, David, Steve, you guys both, I mean, I've been saying to people today that on the basis of the votes coming in, it looks to me like Pennsylvania is not even going to really be close. But I'd like to hear from you guys about that question.
1: John, when you look at the Pennsylvania numbers, I do think uh, it's going to be a lot closer to Michigan, which is not close. I mean, it's a three-point victory now for Biden than Wisconsin. Um, And, you know, what's interesting uh, for me today as you look historically at presidential races, 2016 is going to be closer than this. 2004, uh, 2000, uh, 1976, 1960, yet, um, you know, I think the media is treating, you know, can Trump steal this or lawsuit seriously? Like this election's over. It's not going to be that close. Uh, and I think as long as once it's declared, I think everyone else will move on, even if Don Jr. and and Eric and the rest of that uh crowd continues to bray into the wind. But that's where we are. Pennsylvania is going to be a comfortable win. I think Nevada is going to be a comfortable win. Arizona is going to tighten, but probably be 20,000 votes, let's say similar to Wisconsin. Um, And Georgia is going to be within a few thousand votes. But, you know, Biden's, uh, you know, going to be anywhere from 290 to 306 electoral votes with a popular vote win of four points plus. It's just not that close.
3: It's a really substantial victory. And that's the thing. It's just like 2018. I was just talking about this with Stuart Stevens and, um, you know, we were we were we were talking about it. There's this we I don't get it. Um, you know, there's this glumness afoot, um, you know, about that. You know, we thought we were going to win Florida and we didn't. I mean, this is this is going to be a substantial victory, um, big victory, you know, for Joseph Biden. I mean, Trump has been defeated. Right? It's been put down. Um, I wish I could sit here and say that Trumpism went with it, but obviously it didn't. Um, and we're gonna have years of fighting in this country over that. Right. right? The the susceptibility to such a large percentage of the country or their tolerance for you know, a mix of these militia people and white supremacists, nationalist groups, the overt racial antagonism. But you know, I have confidence that President Biden is going to be able to lower the temperature and enfranchise uh, people. It's a big test of leadership. We're at one of the worst days of COVID in the, in the country. It's out of control in in the Dakotas at, at, at a level that just beggars the imagination right now. So it's an hour of crisis that the country's in. Joe Biden's going to be the president of the United States. Donald Trump's a one-term president. He's been defeated. right? Put down. You know, the American people said enough and it's over. It's over. It's just we just got to wait now.
2: Here's the thing I want to say, right? So just as we as we look at the map, I think, you know, by the time anybody listens to this podcast, I think it's the case that, as David said a second ago, Joe Biden's going to win Pennsylvania. We think we're pretty certain of that. And that's going to get called. Um, And by the time people listen to this, they will know that's true. Arizona seems, as Pluff said, could go either way, but more much more likely to end up in Biden's column. Nevada's going to end up in Biden's column. I think Georgia is going to be giving gonna be a runoff. It's so close that it's going to be a runoff. But I think Biden may go into that runoff with a lead and, and may end up winning Georgia. Now, again, to Steve's point and Jen, I'll ask you. Just knowing that, right? The way I think about this is there were six core battleground states. Joe Biden has is going to, in the end, have won four of them. The three blue wall states in Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and almost certainly Arizona. That's four out of six. North Carolina is going to end up with Trump. Florida is going to be with Trump. And then there's a chance that Joe Biden's going to add Georgia to the list, right? That's a pretty dominant victory in the battleground states. Trump will not have won a single Clinton state, not have expanded, not have won anything that he didn't win last time, and will have lost maybe four or five of those states. And Joe Biden will have won the most popular votes of any presidential nominee in the history of the country. So, Here's my question to you, Paul Mary, because I think this is part of what's going on. There are two other things going on that are making people less than totally celebratory. Obviously, there are going to be people who are – I mean, I'm telling people that I think the race is over at this point, and people on my text message are saying and they're in tears, and they're incredibly excited. They're seeing pictures of the speakers going up, and they're bursting into tears, right? And they need smelling salts. They're so excited, right? Because there's been a lot of tension these last few days for normal Democrats and normal Americans (laughs) who want to get rid of Donald Trump. But there are two things that people worry about. One, they worry about this post-election period. And whether Donald Trump, not with necessarily these lawsuits, but with other things, like what kind of mischief can he make between now and and the inauguration? People are worried about that. And I think we, we should address it. And the other thing is, even if Trump makes no mischief or makes mischief that's easily handleable, people are stunned that after four years of Donald Trump in office and seeing this behavior that all four of us object to and have criticized and condemned vociferously, along with many of our colleagues for the last four years, that 70 million people in the country still voted for this motherfucker. And that, I think, has a lot of people going, wow, like, I'm glad we won. And I'm glad Joe Biden got all those popular votes. And I'm really glad he got enough electoral votes that he's going to end up in the Oval Office. But man, our country is still pretty fucked up. That's a big, big division in the country of 70 million people voted for Donald Trump. After seeing the way he governed for the last four years, after COVID, after all of this, it still was closer than many people can fathom. So I ask you, really starting with you, Jen, but all three of you, I'd like to hear what all, of, all three of you have to say about both of those issues.
4: So I think that the post-election period is not going to be at the, the drama that Trump wants it to be. Their legal strategy appears to be nothing more sophisticated than we're going to take it to the Supreme Court, even though they have no path of of doing that. And in the end, any legitimate, talented, experienced Republican election lawyer does not want to be part of this, right? It's not going anywhere. And then I saw, you know, Mark Esper, the defense secretary, just let it be known to the press that he has prepared a letter of resignation. That look at Steve's face. Um, that seemed alarming. That seemed to suggest to me that Esper is doing a shot across the bow in case Trump has asked him to do something with the using the military, or already has asked him to do something using the military that he won't do. The military won't do that, right? They won't. They won't back Trump up in a way that's not legal. Um, but it does like what what it's only Thursday afternoon. But what's revealed to me is, wow, he really is just a paper tiger, right? Trump really is. I mean, the president of the United States has incredible power, but he's also in when he goes up against his the democracy. Um, he's just one guy, and it, I don't feel like the aftermath is going to be as uh, tumultuous as I feared. Also. Uh, even Trump supporters aren't, you know, they're not taking to the streets. They're not in a way that we are concerned might happen. Um, Again, it's only Thursday. But the other thing, you know, I think this this is where, yeah, like all my friends are shocked that there's 70 million people that would vote for him. More people are going to vote for him this time than last time. I am not surprised by this, you know. I lived through it in 16 and saw, I think people thought there was a lot of critique of, you know, like I'm sure our campaign could have been run better. I'm sure our candidate Hillary Clinton could have been better, but also we were up against um, a man who was able to gain a lot of uh, support in the country and grow. Um, I go, and I think that a lot of people, you know, Trump's election got a lot of people on the left engaged in a way they've never been before. And I think for a lot of people, and these, you know, a lot of my friends, it's like they thought they were the missing ingredient, right? There was a lot of hubris involved that they thought, well, if I get engaged, if I get engaged and just point out to everyone how bad Trump is, obviously he will lose and not look behind the ugliness with Trump to see what is it that makes Americans, um, makes 70 million Americans buy into him, even despite the ugliness, right? Um, and that's, I mean, John, that's why I'm grateful to be part of the circus and get to go on go to Trump events and talk to folks to see, you know, what value they, they garner from him. But, uh, you know, that support is real and deep. Um, and I think Biden is positioned to help cut through some of this. Uh, but it is, yeah, it's, it's Trumpism is not just, a. Uh, it's not just the guy's name that is attached to it.
2: Plough, um, Just to pick up from that, I called him the other day after he went out on television the other night and he gave that speech on election night that was so appalling and so disgusting and so obviously blatantly racist. I I denounced it. And yet I also said to a lot of my friends who were nervous about it, I said, he's a Potemkin dictator. It's like he goes out, he says all this stuff. He says, stop the count. And everyone wakes up the next morning and keeps counting the votes.
4: Like, it's (laughs) like there's no
2: force and effect and no one does anything. People just go, you know... They just go, whatever, okay. Even like at that moment, it's still, there's a paper tiger thing, what Paul Mary just said, paper tiger, right?
1: Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not worried about the reality of what he's going to do, but it's still going to be unsettling. Um, I mean, that East Room event was probably one of the darkest moments in White House history. And it's going to be unsettling that between now and January twentieth, we're going to have a sitting president who really doesn't commit right. to a peaceful transfer of power. Probably won't be helpful on the transition. Who will be talking about things were stolen, things were stolen. I'm sure that'll be the rallying cry for the Georgia specials. By the way, they stole the White House. Now they want to steal the Senate. So it's it's going to be um, it's going to be unsettling and ugly, and kind of a fitting end to Trump's first term. But you know, at the end of the day, listen, we're in a divided country. Um, and the truth is, a Republican nominee for president uh, is always going to get at least 46% of the vote. And let's not forget that Trump, um, he drives turnout. Okay, you look at, at Wisconsin, he gets 1,600,000 votes this time. That's a yeah. huge increase from 16 Uh, And so he's got a unique relationship with a lot of people who aren't typical Republican political volunteers or voters. You add to that just the core Republican base, even those that are conflicted about Trump uh, are going to vote against a Democrat no matter who they are. So, you know, honestly, as you look at the numbers here, um, given the turnout that we saw, um, you know, I'm very satisfied with how Biden ended this race. And I think part of the reason there's glumness is, you know, polls aren't reality. The reality is the fucking reality. And it turned out this was a closer race, Okay, And Biden wins four of the six core battlegrounds, may add Georgia. Um, You know, we win the Colorado Senate race. We win the Arizona Senate race. What we didn't win are the Floridas and the Texases and the Iowa Senate races and the Alaska Senate races, which in reality were never winnable, as it turns out, uh, given the turnout dynamics. So it's a lot the Democratic Party needs to work on. I mean, I always believe when you win, whether it's sports, business um, or in politics, Yeah, let's let's celebrate a little bit, but let's figure out why you could have how you could have won by more. And we know that making sure um, we don't allow any more Republican entreaties uh, with minority voters is going to be critical. Add to our suburban margins um, that have grown so much over the last four years. We've got to find a way to be more competitive in, um, you know, uh, rural and exurban areas. We saw Biden in Erie County. In Luzerne County, and some of the counties in Wisconsin, he did much better than Hillary did in the blue collars. Didn't snap back all the way to Obama, but it was better. But Trump's core counties, those rural exurban counties, he not only held on to this margin. So the electoral college is not going to change in my lifetime, probably. And the way we elect senators isn't going to change. So we can bemoan that. or We can figure out a way to get more competitive in more places. And that's the challenge of the party. And we saw in 18, we won a lot of races, but Trump wasn't on the ballot. And we lost some of those house races when he was. Those were Trump districts. They, rec- they Trump won them again, and he blew out turnout. So I'm not sure. You know, Part of this is just a weirdness of election night. Like, oh, we could win Texas. We could win Florida. Biden's ahead. Like, if we had counted Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, like we did those sure. states earlier, the early vote, I think the whole mentality would be different. But let's just deal with the reality here, which is Donald Trump is a one-term president. And he can't do any more harm to the country. And this is one of the greatest moments in American history. Well, I don't, I I,
2: don't, when I asked my question, I asked, I'm gonna ask it again to Steve in a slightly different way, just hearing what you you just said. I I just wanna be clear. I'm in no way dismissing the importance of the moment. As you guys know, I just, I was the one who rattled off the the battleground state margin. So like I, I, you know, Joe Biden is gonna have won a substantial victory and the most popular votes of any president in history. So that's a big fucking deal. And he'll, he'll, that'll be the, the first line in his obituary. That he was elected president with the most raw votes of any presidential nominee in the history of the country. That's a big accomplishment for sure. But Steve, I ask you just to think about it. I mean, again, to go because you're the one who raised the glumness. I think part of what yes, Pluff is right. If all of it was a normal election night and we'd gotten all the results on the on the on the night and we weren't you know didn't have the delayed reaction of the big important states that 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 Biden won, it would have been a different emotional experience for people that night. But I do think people are still worried about the two things I raised. I think people think, and I don't think anybody in this call really disagrees, that Trump is capable of enormous mischief, malice, and nihilism in the next couple months and still has the ability, if he wants to, to, to be a fucking problem between now and election day, number one. And number two, I do think that even if they had felt election night went better in the moment, there still would have been... A moment where people went, you know, wow, like we knew the country was divided, but we thought, you know, that some of like some, you know, there would have been some more red states or some like Trump's They're the staggered by the by the turnout and that he got more votes than he got last time. How can that be? I mean, I spent four years saying. Donald Trump hasn't gotten added anybody to his column. He's just, you know, been the the president for his base. I've said it for four years. He hasn't added anybody. Turns out he added some people. <laughs> you know, not a small number of people. He got a lot more people to vote for him this time than he got to vote last time, and that says something that I think people are rightly disturbed by. So I ask you again to just address both those things because I think they're on people's minds.
3: There are a number of ways to look at this, and, and so I'm just going to start. I'm just going to start at this at this place we're in the middle of an american catastrophe a great tragedy this this winter is going to be devastating for this country the insanity of the COVID response means probably we may see a million more dead americans from this So will be the most lethal event in american history and none of it none of it had to be so so no matter The result of the election, the the magnitude of the catastrophe that Donald Trump has caused is something that I know gives every one of us grief. But the biggest problem the country was facing got fixed on election night. He is removed from power. No more hail to the chief, no more presidential seal. Flags, Air Force One, Marine One, rendering of salutes. No more members of his scumbag family polluting our polity. They are gone. All of them. The Sebastian Gorkas, the Steve Bannons, Kellyanne Conway, McEnany. All of them will never, ever And I mean, ever again, hold political power in this country, right? We have 565 orphaned children because of the actions of the government of the United States. Everywhere you look, there's damage and there's tragedy. And so we should understand something Trumpism is a thing, it's real. It is an authoritarian, statist, cult of personality ideology with fascistic markers that has rooted itself in America's political soil, like a noxious weed, like an invasive species. It's here. It is undemocratic. You see the... Mark Levin's and the Laura Ingraham's and these people today who are out and openly subverting the idea of American democracy. They want there to be a coup. Mark Levin fantasizing about the instructions to electors to overturn the popular will of the American voter. They are against American democracy. And so for 20 years, we've seen a mix of far-right propaganda networks who got nothing but crazier over the last five years, poisoning the American polity. And whatever the number of minorities is that ultimately voted for Trump, I know this, in the House of Representatives on the Republican side, there are more QAnon members than there are minorities who are members of Congress. And there's going to be more QAnon people running. The Republican Party will get more extreme in this moment. Donald Trump will not go away. He will sit on the outside and agitate. But we're going to have to fight this. And it's not just in America. It is a global anti-democratic movement. It's not an accident when Nigel Farage is on the stage with Donald Trump in Arizona. And and we're gonna have to figure out in the country, the majority of us, who don't agree on everything, by the way, but are faithful to American democracy, we're gonna have to figure out how to talk about this in an ideological framework between democracy and freedom and liberty, and the authoritarianism and the statism that this Trumpist movement represents, we're going to have to be able to process that this isn't a difference between conservatives and liberals as it played out over the last 30, 40 years. It's something else entirely. And it's going to be the fight that defines our politics over the balance of our lifetimes. And what Trump and Trumpism and whether it's manifested by Tucker Carlson, who I think is the Republican frontrunner for 2024, or Tom Cotton or a number of one of these other people, there's a dividing line in the country. And on one side of the line are people who believe the American idea and ideal is for everybody. And on the other side of the line are people who believe it is for some and not for others. And that's the fight. And it's going to go on and it's going to be intense and it's going to have moments where we have setbacks and moments of advancement. But the biggest, most important thing has happened. The worst president in American history, the most unfaithful president to the ideas and ideals of this country has been rejected by the American people and turned out of office and had his political power stripped from him. He will be gone on January 20th. And on that day, the American story renews itself yet again. With the swearing of a 35-word oath, our story continues. In our history, the greatest president followed the worst president, Lincoln following Buchanan. We have a man at age 77 who has met his moment, who's fulfilled his destiny who will follow the worst president this country's ever had and let's hope that he achieves the greatness that he's capable of
2: you know here's a here's a thing Pl- pluff. I'd like you to try to unravel for me on saturday night while I was flying around the country over the weekend and uh in the middle of my texas to iowa to minnesota to montana to ohio to georgia to florida to michigan <laughs> Trip, I I flew through Iowa and on I in Iowa a state you know really well uh, was the night that the Iowa poll came out Saturday night and uh, Ann Salzer's poll comes out it has Trump up seven in Iowa and I'm sitting at this table with Dave Kochel and Matt Paul two really smart strategists Democrat and Republican and both of them mm-hmm. thought the poll was fucked and um because Trump couldn't have pos- it had it even in September and now it was up seven now that's still two blo- points below what Trump got in in Iowa in in the margin in 2016 but. Plus seven seemed pretty big. And we looked inside the poll and it had a 26 point swing with independents. Biden up 12, uh, three couple months ago to now Trump up 14. And we both, you know, we all said that can't be right. Like some Republicans have come home. Dave Kochel worked for Joni Ernst and works for Kim Reynolds and sees a lot of fucking data. And he's like, no, Trump's up maybe three in Iowa. He's going to win Iowa. He's going to lose the country. He's up maybe three. He's not up seven. And this this 26-point swing with independents doesn't make sense. Republicans are coming home, but 26-point swing among independents. I said, well, what would explain it if it were true? And Kochel said, what explain the only thing that I can imagine explaining it is that you people, all you people who don't live in places like this, don't understand how desperate people are because of COVID. They are desperate and scared, and they are... Their, their, their jobs, their lives, their healthcare, their kids' school, everything. I've heard Schmidt go on and on about this, but everyone is just living this thing. And they are so bludgeoned and battered by this, by this pandemic that they are, and they know people who've been sick. They know people have died. They know that what the science says, and they are so desperate, they don't care. And they are actually buying what Trump is saying when he says, we're, they are so desperate to hear the message that we're turning the corner that they don't care about rationality, they don't care about what the med doctors say, they just want to hear someone say this is going to be over soon. And they are buying it and they see him out there on the campaign trail having gotten it himself and now doing five rallies a day and they look at him and go, he's the living example. Maybe it is really over. Maybe we, maybe somehow this, we can all get through it if we're strong enough. And it's irrational. But that if that 26-point swing is right, that's the only way to explain it. That's what's going on with those people. And on election night, Donald Trump won Iowa by seven points and Ann Seltzer was right. So I ask you, so I ask you this, just I'd like you to explain it to me only because forget about Trump. The Trump part of it's interesting, but there's another part of it. As Schmidt just said, we're about to go into, but COVID is still the dominant fact of our lives going forward. And that says something, how people reacted in the country to how Trump has handled COVID and the fact that it didn't just destroy his candidacy and that some people did, I think, do what Kochel suggested has meaning and implications for the next president going forward and for the country as it grapples with COVID and our politics in the age of COVID after Trump?
1: Well, we'll see. Listen, there's going to be so much research coming out of this election. A lot of, um, you know, we should be careful about suggesting right now we understood what happened. My sense is we were never that close in Iowa to begin with. Iowa is a state that's drifting away from us. Um, But I do think that even though Joe Biden would say, you know, I'm not going to shut down um, the economy, but I'm going to shut down the virus. He would tweet that. I don't think that, you know, came through as well in the debates as you might have liked. So I I do think the Trump argument, there's no doubt, by the way, that Trump's recklessness and Biden's responsibility helped Biden in suburban areas. It certainly helped him uh, in the Atlanta suburbs as an example. So I think there was a lot of benefit. I think that's one of the reasons he won is people thought he'll be more responsible. He'll lead us out of this. But I do think the Trump argument that he's going to shut down Thanksgiving and he's going to shut down Christmas is going to shut down the country. You know, some people might have bought that. We'll see in some of the after election research. There's no question about that. Uh, and people are desperate. Um, they want a return to economic activity like it was before. They want their kids back in school. Uh, and even though, um, you know, Trump's the last person in the world you could trust to do that. He was offering people a dishonest but easy route to that, which is all going to be OK. Number one. But number two, I think the big thing here is just states like Iowa, Ohio, you know, they're trending away from us. Um, And but we see states like Arizona and Georgia and I think ultimately Texas trending in a more progressive direction. And that's going to be the story of the next uh, sort of eight to 12 years in American politics is can Democrats remain competitive up in Wisconsin, which I think is going to be a challenge. I think we will in Pennsylvania and Michigan. Can we make sure New England stays the way it is in Oregon and Washington States with very little minority population? We do very well. In. And then can we basically turn Arizona and Georgia uh, into the next Colorado and Virginia? Uh, and if we do, uh, we're going to win a lot more elections than we lose. But I think there was something to that I also think it's cool. I don't think it really affected the presidential race because I think people saw Joe Biden as not a um, radical, yeah. as a centrist, safe choice. But you do see in some of these House races, there's, you know, uh, House Democratic caucus conference call today uh, where there's been some reporting that a lot of these members who lost races or won close races really think that defund the police and yes. the socialism charges hurt them. Uh, you know, so Biden won Virginia by a lot, but he was running statewide. He was, you know, in Abigail Spanberger's district. Yep. Some of those arguments she thinks hurt her. So I think we have to understand that. And just as the very, very extreme wing of the Republican Party, the sort of Fox Breitbart wing has really made it harder, I think, for Republicans to win the center of the electorate. And listen, Joe Biden won moderate voters going away uh, in every battleground state. You know, this is going to be a challenge for the Democratic Party. That tension is there. uh, And, you know, to win (laughs) seats like Abigail Spanbergers, you're not going to be able to run on a Medicare for all. And by the way, Hmm. let's just for a minute, I mean, Hmm, hmm, hmm. you think about two of the phrases that were part of the end of this campaign pack the court yeah. and defund the police you couldn't think of yeah. worse language for those two things i don't know how much an effect that had but i know it was not Can helpful you... in tough territory yeah i'm sorry guys i gotta jump but
2: i really want to at some point i want to ask you this question but yeah, i'll, see, I'll you see you later him. top pluff pluff see, good you, David. To see you hopefully Enjoy bye, pluff. It was good to talk to you see you guys i can't believe you're leaving us
1: it is I... Make sure you get a bobby from Cassapolis or Capriati's before you leave. It's the best. It's crazy. It, it is, is it's a really it's basically a turkey. It's a turkey. It's a Thanksgiving meal. It's the greatest it. of all sandwiches. It's awesome.
2: I forgot that the reality is we have two Delaware we have two Delaware dudes on this on this on this call.
3: They have a Capriati's in Salt Lake now, David.
2: And apparently a Casa Polo in, a,
1: in Vegas I This guess. is
2: some deep Delaware shit so right now. Great. And you know that's yeah. the thing with a president now from Delaware, all of America is going to have to learn this weird Delaware <laughs> shit. And that's like a bad that's a bad yeah, <laughs> a bad sign. It's a bad. It, it, so it's a, scrapple, uh, it's baby. A, a scrapple. It's the logo. best. <laughs> it's, better than, it's better than spam. It's better so than spam, gross. but you know? not better. I was
3: surprised that people didn't talk more you about know, the Scrapple mandate this coming. They so should now it's too late. The right. breakfast, breakfast of Champions.
1: Of tra- <laughs> a breakfast of Champions. <laughs> oh, scrapple and Schaefer beer. It's the best. This is, is
2: this really what is this really what it's know, gonna be like? Is this really what it's gonna be like with the president from Delaware is having to listen to this weird oh, shit constantly Oh god, our popular culture is gonna yeah. be so polluted. Oh my god.
1: People thought it was bad before. Fighting blue hens. Yeah. Um, no, no not fighting, Jen. Fighting. 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 There's no gender. fighting. Okay, it's Jen. Fighting. Fighting. Oh, okay, let's be clear. Pluff.
4: Fighting blue hens. Okay, got it. All
2: right. Uh let's just take a break here. Uh we're gonna go off and pay some bills, and once we've done that, we will be right back.
0: Introducing Wondersweep from Bluehost.com.
4: You know, Steve, you have like you, you've said. You know, there's like the people and the Republicans that they can cross the line and are willing to, you know, sort of find that sort of authoritarianism, nationalism appealing. And then I find, but then I, I find some level of apathetic Trump voter. Or you know, do you do you see that too? That doesn't seem people in my own people in my family people. Um, uh, people that I meet at these rallies where they'll be like, oh, I don't like everything, but he's just better on the economy. They default to something that's benign, and which, I, which, to be fair to them, seems sincere and legitimate. It's like they're just too isolated. They're not... You know, they're not, you know, and this this is what concerns me about the map that David just drew out, which was like, we're just swapping states. One, you know, a state of Democrat can win by a lot, a, for a state of Republican can win by a lot. Um, you know, Iowa for Georgia, um, Wisconsin for Arizona, but there's no, uh, you know, there, there's nothing in the country coming together in that, you know, there's, and and I'm, that's what I'm wondering is, you know, do everyone who vote for Trump, or are, 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 are they... Are they making this choice to side, a conscious choice to side with the nationalists? That's what they need. Or, you know, or is it more benign that that's something that Biden can, and the rest of us can push off against, you know what I mean?
3: No, I, I think there, you know, I think there is, I think that there's a lot of negative part partisanship in the, in the mix. And You know, it's you, you, you're you from the West of the country and you understand this, Um, you know, culture, culture matters. Yeah, it's cultural. It's like, I mean, I'll say this, that for sure, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't talk about this, you know, as we're coming down the stretch, obviously, but, you know, the pack the court stuff, even if you decided that's what you were going to do, Talking about it, you know, politically in the final days of the campaign to defund the police, and I'll, I'll say this: the um, the majority of really profoundly incompetent politicians in the country um, are in the Republican Party, but but that doesn't mean that that the Democrats are explicated from that completely. And boy, the if I were Joe Biden, I I would. My level of being pissed off at the mayor of Portland, Oregon, and the governor of Oregon for the shit show in that state over over mm-hmm. the last months. And at the end of the day, people want order. They don't want mm-hmm. chaos. They don't want anarchy. People look at Seattle. They look at Portland. They look at about how it was covered on Fox News. I mean, there are legitimately a lot of Americans who believe half the country was burning down this summer. And I think the one thing that we don't have a handle on at all um, that we need to, and I say that institutionally, and I mean, we stood up Uh a group that, you know, in the end, I think is going to have raised $80 million. And we were able to establish some capabilities on this, but I know the DNC doesn't have it. I don't think the Biden campaign had it. Priorities didn't have it. We didn't have it. I don't think anyone has a bead on, the amount of shit that flows through Facebook, and the alternate reality, and mm-hmm. the extent and the depth of the river of misinformation um, that's that's out there, and but the a democratic society is dependent on truth if if you have a society where there there is no ability to distinguish between the truth and the lie the democracy will be lost and and we are in peril because of the crisis of dishonesty of lying of misinformation and and it's something that 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 is an urgent national conversation that we have to have
2: i i totally agree i i will say and you know <laughs> Jen, you were, you know, at the very early phases of this, you know, I mean, Steve, Jen and I have talked about this a lot over the course of this campaign, you know, the way in which, you know, 2016 was a funny thing in this one respect. I mean, funny in a very particular way. You know, we, there was, there were two aspects in which the Russians interceded in our election. One was the way that we knew about actually in real time, it's crazy how much we knew about it in real time. Like they hacked the DNC, they hacked John Podesta's email, they weaponized the emails in plain sight. Some of the media was complicit in helping them to do that by publicizing, like taking the Watergate stuff that was broken into in a, in a theft, out in front of daylight burglary, and then taking the stolen goods and, and making media out of them. I will say we did not do that on, on, on the things that I was involved in. We made a point of not doing stories about the stuff that came was stolen from John Podesta's email or stolen from the DNC. But a lot of people did. They just took that as like, oh, that's just, those are stories. Those are headlines. We'll just do them. You know, so, but that was out front. And then there was this other thing that was going on, which was the thing you're talking about, which was the beginnings of the actual fake news thing, not what Trump calls fake news, but the actual misinformation, disinformation sphere, right? Which was, and no one could see it in real time. The Clinton campaign campaign had decided not to be embedded with Facebook for good reasons, but they were blind to what was going on. The Trump campaign was embedded inside Facebook. They knew exactly what was going on. And when, the, when, when Facebook started to be flooded with stories that were pegged to nothing about Hillary Clinton having Parkinson's or having MS or having had a stroke or being on death's door in the last two weeks of the campaign in swing districts and swing counties all over the battleground states, like... It was below the radar. People forget this. No one in real time knew what was going on, except maybe some people in Trump world. But the mass media couldn't see it. And the Clinton campaign didn't see it because if they had seen it, they would have told us about it. And afterwards, I went around and said to people, like, did you guys know what was going on? And there was this information flow, right? We knew that Hillary had had the moment on 9-11. There was a lot of discussion of her health for two weeks after that because she had fallen down on 9-11. And then for no reason, at the end of the campaign, there was a ton of information flow, made up shit about Hillary's health in the last two weeks alongside the Comey letter that was happening in Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Ohio and other places. So that was the beginning of it. Like, And these guys on the Clinton campaign saw it through a glass darkly at that moment. And in the days afterwards, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, fuck, this was really happening. And I will say that in the last four years, and particularly in this last year, the platforms have done some stuff you know, we see it now on Twitter. They're trying, they're policing it. is a big controversial thing. Conservative America is pissed about it. Donald Trump's Twitter feed is being policed. Facebook has done some stuff. Twitter has done more stuff. But I think they've scratched the surface, barely. And even if you take out that stuff, that's deliberate, deliberate misinformation and disinformation, there's the thing you're really talking about, which is the epistemic closure thing, which is where there's this whole bubble of people who live in this world of that the top five stories of the week are not the five stories that we are paying attention to. And the stories where they are the same stories that we're paying attention to, they are filled with lies and 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 and, and intentional propaganda and misinformation. And I don't think I think it is like the biggest thing that right now divides the country into how we don't understand what's going on over there and they don't understand what's going on over here and we don't want to and they don't want to. And people don't really have their arms around it at all. None of Nobody does. You guys at Lincoln are really sophisticated. You guys don't understand this. Nobody understands it. And man, it's the central thing in our society right now. It's the central thing. It's the thing that dis, that is at the core of the divide in the country. I have no idea how to fix it. I wouldn't even know how, where to begin to fixing it. But I do know that like, it is the it's the biggest most giant fact in American life right now that no one has a fucking clue about. Like there's nothing this big that no one that people understand this poorly and it's it, it's enormous. Anyway Paul Mary, I, I, I'll get off my, soap, my soapbox, but I do think it's true. Yeah. like most big things in American life we have a lot of different opinions about. We thought you know people have like at least 30 percent or 50 percent of overlapping information. This is a giant thing that even the smartest the people we all know time. don't understand at all. Like don't understand yeah, it. Yeah,
4: it's just, when there's not any gates to people being heard, how do you con how do you control for truth? Like that's like it's not people people say, Oh, it's a big question for politics. It's like the question of our time. It's the internet gave everyone a platform, so all these voices that had never been heard before have a place to be heard, and that is largely empowering. But then it what it unleashes is this question. I think sports is a good place to start. I'm not joking. That's what I do in my own life, you know? Like I really try to spend, I mean, both you all know this. I I spent a lot of time in Montana. I spent time, you know, my, my, the town that I live in is a, is a, is a Trump town. I like really try to be, and I've spent more time in my birth state of Mississippi and try to just con, you know just connect with people that i don't agree with on things that can be unifying you know sports is a place to i mean we have no idea how to fix the problem so start somewhere start someplace outside of politics where people can at least see each other as a um as humans and not as a you know a political brand um and it sounds like a small place to start but it is a place to start it's what I do. I don't know. It's what I do. I've definitely lived differently now. But let me ask after that, let, me, 16.
2: let me ask you both this question, though, just to, to make really concretize this and bring it back to the election, because that was a little bit we went off on like, that's a little bit of a like, boy, that's a big question, big thing for the future. Right now, right now, as we sit here, Newt Gingrich, Newt Gingrich, former Speaker of the House, has a tweet. It is increasingly clear that Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania are all being stolen by Democrats, and the research is almost certainly going to oh, yield Christ. far more votes stolen than Biden's current margins. That's a tweet from the former Speaker of the House, yeah. Newt Gingrich. So, wait, 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 so just wait, asshole- wait, 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 just wait. <laughs> Don Donald, J- Donald Trump Jr. tweeted, You didn't see all of these games, statistical impossibilities, and magic ballots in 2016 because the Democrats figured they had it in the bag and wouldn't have to break out all the stops. Trump campaign manager Bill Stepien, on a campaign call. Quote, the Democrats are lying, cheating, and stealing. It's happening all over this country. Rudy Giuliani, same thing, right? Okay, now, Steve, I know what you're gonna explode. I, I, but I want you to th- I want to tie this to the specific thing you just talked about. And this is where I want to come back to my question about the danger of the next three months. I'm not hyper paranoid about this. I think I'm pretty clear-eyed about it, and that I I get that the the institutional structure went on after he said stop the counting, the counting kept going, and we're all good. But the reality is they right now, after the networks and the AP come out and declare Joe Biden the president elect, they are not going to stop and their litigation strategy may fail because the courts will say these are ridiculous, meritless lawsuits. Fuck you. But that this is a communication strategy. The Biden campaign today said these are not that Bob Bauer said these are not real lawsuits. They're not on the merits. They are just a communication strategy to which I say, well, that's good in the sense that there are meritless lawsuits who aren't going aren't gonna, to gonna be able to steal the election for Joe Biden. But as a communication strategy, they're reinforcing the thing we were just talking about, which is 40 million people who are going to think this election was stolen. And that is a fertile ground for, that's misinformation of the highest order. And that's a fertile ground for chaos and potential civil unrest and potential problems in the next three months. Or am I, again, that's what I worry about right now. Not that Donald Trump will be in office on January 21st, Steve. I believe... He will be ushered out the door. He will not be able to hold on to office. But you can do a lot of damage when you are feeding that kind of misinformation to people for the next three months in the middle of a pandemic. When, and, and you have 40 million people who are going to believe it when they are singing out of this songbook. That's something that 40 million people are going to believe, that this thing was stolen. And what will th- what will happen in these few months? Should we well, not be concerned about that or at least
3: clear-eyed about it as we head into it? These people are constitutional vandals and arsonists and the damage that they are doing is not new damage it's part of a continuum of damage i mean when i when you said new gingrich i said that asshole and i and i use the words deliberately is there is there anybody who's not named trump who has been more of a pernicious force in american life than newton leroy gingrich Right. Maybe Sean he handy. is the father of the burning down yes. of any and all comedy in this country yes. it's it's it the, the his 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 mistress is the American ambassador to, to the, the Vatican.
2: Vatican to the Vatican it it is to the Vatican
3: <laughs> disgusting these people his his Grift for yeah. 30 years Gingrich Inc yeah his his lust for power and and his propensity, like his grubby little claws grabbing at the money. Same with Giuliani, same with all of these people. They need to be expurgated from American life forever. And we should understand that what they're doing, it is unpardonable. It is the definition of sedition. Right, and I just like want to share something. You know, I've 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 been involved in this sequence of events, Mm. and I've been on two sides of a presidential campaign. One, one lost one. Yeah. Let me talk about the one we lost. We must feel good. Must
2: feel good to be on the winning side of this one. I'm not being sarcastic. I mean, really, it must be it must be that
3: he's out, and we played any type of small role in this. Is makes me happy. Yeah, you but, look happy today. But I used my phone to call David Pluff. And I said, Congratulations.
2: In 2008, you're talking about?
3: In 2008. And he said, Thank you. And I said, I have Senator McCain for the president elect. And David handed the phone to Barack Obama. And I said, Congratulations, Mr. President elect. I have Senator McCain for you, sir. And I handed the phone to John McCain. And John McCain said, Barack. He said, yes. He said, Mr. President-elect, congratulations. This is the miracle of the country. When, when George Third asked what Washington would do, and he was told that he would go home to Virginia, he said, He would be the greatest man of that or any age. He's the first human being in 2,000 years of history to voluntarily walk away from power. But the first president who matters in this story is John Adams, who loses an election that goes to the House of Representatives, but walks away from power. In a democracy, one side must be willing to accept the judgment of the people, And the legitimacy of the victory of the opponent with the belief, we'll get you next time. What they're doing here is horrible. It is an assault on the history, the traditions, the ideas, the ideals of American democracy. And forevermore, at least 30% of the country will believe the election result was illegitimate, that Trump was the victim of a stab in the back, The stab in the back theory over time will take on its anti Semitic overtones and its racial overtones. The great conspiracy. And it used to be when you ran for president, Republican candidate would go up to Manchester and give a speech to establish their conservative bona fides, and Democratic candidate would go somewhere and establish their progressive ones. Every one of these Republican candidates is going to go forth into this next election cycle in 24, which will start very, very early. And their first task will be to establish their conspiracy theory bona fides, to give life to the idea that this was a giant fraud, that it was a giant fraud, and nothing could be further from the truth. But the thing about it is, is that democracy, America's democracy, like 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 air and water are necessary for organic life faith and belief are necessary for democracies to live for them to breathe faith and belief in legitimacy of the system there's nothing worse you could do including even the negligence and malfeasance that has led to thus far a quarter million dead Americans. There is no greater sin for an American leader, no greater outrage for an American president to commit against everything that he's already done than what's happening right now. The subversion of the sovereign will of the American people in getting to decide who leads us. An unpardonable sin.
2: Okay, we are going to take a short break, so stick around and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Recount special bonus election episode. I am John Heilman here with Jennifer Palmieri and Steve Schmidt. Debbie Dingell told me a story this morning uh, about Joe Biden going to see her husband uh, when he went to the intensive care uh, and they thought he was going to die and Joe Biden went and visited him in intensive care and, and, uh, and told him that he was not done yet on this earth and that she continues to believe that her husband lived for four more years after his meeting with Joe, after Joe Biden went to see him in, in the ER or in, in ICU. Um, we were sitting out on this, in this park in Michigan, um, this morning in the very of cold, it was nice to see her. I love Debbie. And we were having this conversation about like how to explain what happened and, um, why Biden had won Michigan when was well, the difference between sixteen and twenty and and then what you know why her view that Biden was just the right person to Steve's point earlier today about the man meeting the moment why why this seventy seven year old man was in fact the right man at this moment to try to deal with this deep division in the country I'm uh not as I'm not I'm just very pessimistic about the amount of division there is but her story about about a story that a lot of people who know Joe Biden have stories like this, but this story about her, she loved her husband so much and she loves Joe Biden so much, even though she got in trouble with the campaign at the end when she said that Michigan was tightening and they all got mad at her again after she made your campaign Jen bad mad back in 2016 when she said that Hillary was going to lose Michigan. So Debbie's great because she's both a loyal partisan Democrat and also a truth teller. and um, she told this story about again about Biden and, and John Dingle, her husband and, and it made me tear up in the park um, and you know how hard that is to make me do it, Jen and then Steve did it just now on the <laughs> Steve just did it just now with me on the on the on the zoom and I've never uh, Steve's hard to make me tear up twice in one day and have one of the people who makes me tear up is Steve Schmidt that's fucked up. But I ask you, someone who tears up all the time, <laughs> all the time all the time waterworks <laughs> as you sit there in Delaware I just want to I'm going to open the floor to you to to just speak of this right you know this man mm-hmm. who ran for president twice this man who people did not take seriously in 2016 did not think yep. could win the Republican nomination then did not really did not think could win the presidency who won and your boss lost. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And it's not, we're not going to go back and dig through all of them. I just want to think about this in in the context of you. You know, we have now, you know, Hillary fought a good fight. There's no one who can take away from the fact that she fought. She fought hard and then she lost. And again, there's lots of reasons for that. But in the end, Donald Trump was president for four years and now it's almost over. Um, And you lived it on the inside four years ago, and then you lived it not on the not on the outside, but, you know, someone following it for the last year with our show and in the last 13 weeks very closely when a lot of other people weren't out in the middle of covid fight America. You've been out there watching this thing up close. You've been with watching your friends on the Biden campaign try to fight this fight. You've been at Trump rallies. You've been, you know, in red states, blue states, purple states um having a very emotional experience in this and i say that with great you know love and sympathy you know how much i love you and how much sympathetic i am just watch you go through this and i've often try to crack open your head and understand and see how you're processing it you know the fight that you that your boss barely lost and then you know. This this other guy who you've known for a long time in politics, Joe Biden, and a lot of people you've known for a long time in politics getting to have this victory that Steve just described and David just described and I just described is obviously a huge important thing for the country, this this victory for Joe Biden. So I just want, I'm literally, I'm, I'm laying, saying all those things yeah. just to create the context to say, I just wonder what you're, I mean, I know a lot of things you've been thinking about this because we talk almost every day, but like, I just want to, as we sit here now, maybe hours away from Joe Biden getting the call, you know, where the call, the network call, the the, the not the formal, uh, not the formal, he won't be the formal president-elect until the uh, until the electoral college a month from now steps forward, and does its work. But, mm-hmm. you know, he will be, a f- for all intents and purposes, the president-elect potentially within a few minutes, a few hours, right? Just talk to me yeah. about, about your journey and how you're feeling right now and what you're thinking right now and how you're processing all of this against the backdrop that I just laid out.
4: I was, um, you know, I worked with Uh, Joe Biden when he was vice president and we were allies in the Obama White House. Right. Um, I grew up on Capitol Hill. Leon Panetta was my first boss. So I had a lot of respect for the kind of old fashioned political skills that Joe Biden had, which not every, not all the staff of the Obama White House um, uh, had as much admiration as I did. Um, And so we were allies and I was really upset when I told him that I was leaving the White House to go work for Hillary. He was not happy about it and I it didn't even occur to me that he would not be happy about it right he was just you know he said well you know I think you're gonna see he's like you know I think you're gonna see me out there and I was like what do you what do you mean and he's like well I I I just may run I think you're and this is in March of 2015 right and it had not even occurred to me that Joe Biden might still want to run for president or have a reason to have something more to contribute right And he was, and I was like, well, that's what he's mad about, right? He's mad that I didn't even see it, um, that I didn't even see that he would, that he might want that. Um, but I thought he was, you know, I thought he was done. I thought his role in American, you know, in history was to be the transitional figure, sort of the older white man that, that was, you know, older than the first black president and sort of his partner and made him palatable to all of America. Um, And I thought that was enough and that was it. And I loved him and had a lot of respect for him. But I also thought his sort of old fashioned political skills, their time was past. And, you know, I will always be, um, you know, obviously it's like none of these things exist in a vacuum or, or zero sum, right? Like, I obviously wish hillary had won four years ago but there's not there is some good that came out of her loss there is some awakening that happened with women there is an awakening i I think some of the awakenings about gender and race would not have happened if she had not if trump had not won um it still kills me to hear her say things like i was born to take on the pandemic i could have you know the things she'll never get the chance to do but they're just I just I really it, it is so reassuring to me that his old fashioned political skills can matter in a time like this, that he wasn't done, that America can take some of its past with it with it into the future in the form of Joe Biden. Um, that I find very comforting and reassuring in a country that's changing as fast as it is. And there's just not a better man, right? That um that this could happen for. Um that this could happen too. And for, um, the democratic primary was unlike anything I'd ever seen. He came in fifth, fourth in Iowa, fifth in New Hampshire. I thought he was dead. I couldn't think, I didn't, couldn't imagine a way that he came back. And it was like the American people bestowed upon him that responsibility to be the democratic nominee. We believe you are the guy to get rid of this man. We believe it's you. And he just, the sort of, you know, it was, it was, the, the nomination was more bestowed upon him than fought for and, you know, he's been that vessel of hope, comfort, empathy, healing. Uh, and I, you know, it's reassuring to me to see the democracy that work the way it did hope, record-setting votes, votes being counted in a, you know, Trump's trying to mess with it, but it's in a open way. It's, you can track your ballot. We're seeing it all happen in real time. It's happening relatively uh, quickly and it's happening relatively peacefully and I just thought that, you know, John, I've told you before, like, I thought maybe democracy died on November 8th, 2016. And all we were living through was like the after effects, right? The afterburn. And it's not. Um, it's an op, you know, it's, 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 it's working It's the people are working their well, And yeah, there's a lot of division and, I, you know, but I just so, I have the most relief, like just relief that, you know, we weren't sure we were going to feel again. And so happy for him.
3: You know, I listened to Jennifer's story and, um, you know, if I could share one about the history of the country. Um, When Lincoln was elected president, William Tecumseh Sherman was an army colonel and he was very skeptical, deeply upset, Um, wrote a letter to a friend um, talking about we had elected this backwoods barbarian. He had no capacity to deal with the issues in front of him. The, the country was doomed. Um, if, if memory serves, he wrote that letter to a friend of his uh, who was down on his luck and was selling firewood on a corner in Ohio. And That friend's name was um, Ulysses Grant, who would soon take a commission in the Illinois militia. And they last saw Lincoln at city point on the headwaters of the James River, which was the Union headquarters shortly before the end of the war, uh, after Lincoln's second inaugural. And Sherman later reflected, saying that he had met all the great men of the world, that he had met the industrialists, the emperors, the kings, the generals, but he had never met any man who possessed more of the qualities of greatness and goodness than did Abraham Lincoln. And so what was on the ballot was decency versus indecency. And what has always been true about the country is it's been shaped by ordinary people who almost providentially have been in the right places at the right times. And you can think about Dwight Eisenhower, who's a colonel in the army not being promoted for 13 years, or Rosa Parks who was just a woman who was tired on a bus and not wanting to move and face that injustice, or the young Baptist preacher who was inspired by her and became a moral giant, is that throughout the history of the country, ordinary people have risen up and done extraordinary things. And this is a moment of destiny for an ordinary man from Scranton, Pennsylvania um, of a different time and a different generation uh, in many ways, but the bridge to a future where we have to recall essential values that are necessary in the life of a great nation. When Donald Trump attacked John McCain for his heroism, John McCain's valor is not something for Donald Trump to give or to take away. It just is. But those values, the values of valor and selflessness and love and patriotism, great nation can't survive without them. And what we've seen is the antithesis of that poisoning the country for four years. And so the great task now for the president-elect of the United States, by the time people hear this, will begin to heal the land. And it will take an inordinate amount of leadership to be able to do that. And I have faith in them. And And I do feel like in this moment, the values that were contested in this election, no matter how many voted for the other side, by a decisive number, they have prevailed. And the good guys have a toehold to fight from for all of the things that should unite all of us and that are our legacy and our inheritance that have been handed to us through great struggle and great sacrifice and that we should, after these four years, all of us have a much greater appreciation for the greatness of that gift, but also for the fragility of it and our obligation to take better care of it.
1: And one,
2: and one more thing, a greater sense of appreciation about to be bestowed on this land for the greatness and the goodness of Scrapple
3: absolutely
4: in Capriottis
3: all of those of good people, Delaware things a lot of people have talked about and this is in an end now right the primacy yeah. of California yeah. in writing the culture of the country yeah. now yeah. as Delaware becomes the cultural capital of America <laughs> capital of America as it drives change mm-hmm. as it drives mm-hmm. yeah fashion trends yeah. <laughs> the culinary trends
1: <laughs> fashion all trends
3: all of the trends, everything. Um, when people talk, when- not just in America, but probably globally, probably abroad.
2: Yeah. Thank you guys for spending the time. Um, we will meet again uh, down the road. I'm certain. I want to thank uh, Steve Schmidt and the recently departed, but very much essential David Pluff, who was here for much of this podcast and then had to go. David Pluff, Steve Schmidt, the host of Battleground. Jennifer Palmieri, the host of There's Just Something About Her. I'm John Heilman, the host of Hell and High Water. We, the Recount Podcast family, look forward to seeing you in our respective spaces next week. Sayonara. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us here on the first ever Recount special bonus, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious politics election episode. I am glad to have had you here and I am super thankful to Jen Palmieri, Steve Schmidt, and David Pluff for taking time on this very, very busy and very, very historic day to debrief and tell some incredible stories and add their brilliance and their analysis to the listening public. Uh, I know that they are some some pretty in-demand voices out there in these turbulent times, so we are so happy and thrilled and proud to have them be part of our family here. This has been a special recount bonus episode from The Recount and iHeartRadio. If you like all of us, any of us, give all of us, any of us, a review and a nice rating on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you happen to get your podcasts, uh, they will help us out very much, so we're very grateful. Alia Jackson engineered this special super duper bonus episode of the podcast. Ali Rogers is our associate producer, and Christian Fidel Castro Russell is our executive
4: producer.